Hi, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. Today I want to talk to you. The title of my message is Faith at Work in Turmoil. Faith at Work in Turmoil. Have any of you noticed that there's a little chaos going on in the world it's, it's always been going on. There, there's turmoil, chaos in your family, um, in your job, in your health. Everybody faces it. Um, and and I, I have some experience in dealing with turmoil and chaos. And one of the greatest leadership challenges, aside from myself, let me tell you the greatest leadership challenge I have is self-leadership. It's easy to tell other people what to do. It's a whole lot different when you have to tell yourself what to do and get yourself to do that. Um, but one of the greatest leadership challenges of my life was when I was coaching peewee football, the four-year-old football, I have a, great, another five bucks here. I have another picture of, of Blake here when he's about four years old. Here we are. Um, and, and the goal in football like this, when you're coaching football like this, is very basic. It's really basic. Here's the plan. Snap the ball and pray to God that the quarterback runs to the right end zone. That's basically the deal. And now this team was great. These guys were speedy. It was fun watching them. Usually they'd run like 140 or 150 yard touchdown. Uh, They'd first run to the wrong end zone. And I would be running down the sidelines telling them to go the other way. And eventually when I got to them, they'd turn around and go back the other way. It was was awesome. I have never experienced chaos like that. It was like herding cats, which is an impossibility. You can't do it. And so that's a little picture of, of chaos there. Uh, you may have experienced something like that. The world we're in right now has some new kinds of chaos. I mean, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, every sin that could be done has already been invented, but we are finding new vehicles for it. Uh, Recently read about a real challenge with abuse and harassment in the metaverse. So they're actually sexual assaults online in the metaverse. It's crazy stuff. How would we even talk about this? The world is full of chaos. Now, I'm not here to complain about what's going on out there. Really, it doesn't do a whole lot of good because the greatest challenge is not what's out there. The greatest challenge is what's going on inside of us. And God has a mission for us in this world. And the mission isn't to complain about what's going on in the world. The mission is for us to take the light of the world, which is Christ Jesus, and shine it in dark, chaotic places filled with turmoil, evil, and wickedness. And so I wanna tell you today that the Christians are assigned to be special agents of righteousness and peace in a world full of evil and turmoil. That's our job. Now, some Christians, it feels like they bring drama with them. They're, you know, you got no offense to anyone named Karen here, but there are a lot of Christian Karens today. That they exist to complain about everything. And I guess, you know, not to be sexist, there's kins out there too, right? I think that's the male equivalent. But, you know, it's just like everybody's ticked off about something. We're going to let the world know about it. Listen, the job, the mission of the believer in the world today is to be an agent of righteousness in a world full of of turmoil. So I want you to understand today that faith works in turmoil. Say that with me. Faith works in turmoil. One time really good and strong, faith works in turmoil. In fact, I would say faith works best in turmoil. Like if there's no chaos, if there's no difficulty, if there's no test, if there's no challenge, how would you even know if you have faith? If you are 
not sick, how would you ever have faith that God can heal? If you, has anybody got more month than money? I mean, it used to be that the gas prices were so that your money would stretch you to like the 28th of the month. But right now we're pulling up around the 23rd of the month. And everything's just gotten a little more expensive. And, you know, we have to deal, we have had to face some challenges. You, you got to have faith for that. How would we ever have faith? How would God ever be the God of our money, the God of our appetites, the God of our resources, if our resources and our appetites weren't challenged? And, and just so I can kind of set us straight just a little bit, did you, you do realize that none of us, they're, they're truly, by world standards and by the standard of history, none of us here are poor. Now, I know that's easy to say because for sure there is need here in the, in the house. I know it. I experience it. I see it all the time. But by the world standards, you do understand how blessed that we really are. We're, we're unbelievably blessed. But for us to come to the place where we have to exercise faith, there, faith, there has to be some kind of test. We have to be stretched. And faith really works best in turmoil. James was an expert in dealing with turmoil. In James chapter three, verse 13 through 18, which is our passage for today, we'll pick up next week after that. Um, James is talking about the wisdom that we need so that we will have peace. The reason we do that is because there's turmoil and challenge. You don't need peace. When there is no chaos, you have peace. And so James gives us some instruction. I wanna go ahead and read that, James chapter three, verses 13 through 18. Here's what the Bible says. Um, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it. This is one of the reasons I like James so much. He's just like right in your face. I'm really thankful for the people that can say things in roundabout ways and kind of help you come around to understanding and be so gentle with you. That's not James. I think James went through his own drama enough. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He had faced all of this stuff. He had answered his own questions. And basically what he's saying to you, why don't we just cut through the drama and just get down to the brass tacks? Let's just get down to business of following God. You say you have faith and you're wise and understand God's ways. Well, then prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Hey, he's saying, that's great that you could write a nice tweet. That's great that you can put up a really great Facebook status, but don't put up a really nice encouraging Facebook status and then go give people heart, a hard time down at the Waffle House. You know, don't, don't be rude to your neighbor. Don't, don't give the, the person that you attend church with the business. Don't be difficult on your employer or on your employees. You know, lead in a way that would glorify God. Some of the best sermons you'll ever hear or you'll ever see wear blue jeans and wear sneakers and they just are walked out. The greatest sermon, I was reminded this week that the greatest sermon I've ever experienced my entire life was a sermon entitled John T. Johnson. It was my dad. I watched him live. He was the same guy in the pulpit as he was at home and he, he was just, in, he was incredible. And then in his dying, he preached to us. Not that he was preaching a sermon, but he showed us how to live 
and how to die, it was an incredible thing. Listen, to my father, I would say, thank you for proving the message that you preached as I grew up as a pastor's kid was the message that you would live with and, and that you would also die with. What a legacy, what a heritage, what a blessing. James says, if you have faith, then prove it. But if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. But if you're bitterly jealous, I like what Adrian Rogers says. He said, you have two choices when you get up in the morning. You can either be humbly grateful or grumbly hateful. I like that. He had a good way of saying things that you could remember like that. James just says, listen, if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, he's not saying if you have ambition in your heart, he's saying if you have selfish ambition. Like if you'll run over everybody to get where you want to go. This is, not, this is not the kingdom. This is not the body of Christ. I think the body of Christ, I have all kinds of business leaders who are succeeding and doing well. And that, you know, for baseball players, we ought to be the best baseball player we can be. But also for burger flippers, we ought to be the best burger flipper we, we could be. Dr. King, he said, if you're, if you're a street sweeper, you ought to be the best street sweeper that you can be. Whatever it is that we do, do as unto the Lord. And if we're doing something as unto the Lord, we better have an ambition for that thing that we're doing. Don't you think so? But James says, don't be covered up in selfish ambition in your heart. Don't, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Ooh. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Really, this is something I want you to underline or circle. If you have a paper Bible, write in that Bible. Uh, mark that down. Remember that. Wherever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. And just let me throw this out there. Um, if you want to build something, you cannot build it with disorder. You have to have order. You, have, you, can't, you can have the best players on your team, but if they are disordered, they're not playing their position, they're not playing together, they're not unified, they're not gonna win games. If you're selfish, if you're a ball hog, if you give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, you're not gonna win the games because you have to have order on the team, order in your family, order in the church, order in your business, in what you do. And the enemy of order is selfishness and jealousy and all kinds of bitter, uh, uh, selfish ambition. And there, in the place of disorder, you will find evil of every kind. What is it we hear the world saying right now? Well, I'm just gonna follow my heart. I'm gonna do what feels right. We say all kinds of things to justify what it is that our appetite is asking for. Listen, nobody gets a pass. Nobody. We are all born in sin, every one of us. Oh, but we... You know, that, that's kind of old-fashioned and this is okay here. No, nothing is okay but Jesus. Everything has to be submitted to Jesus. And when we submit ourselves to Jesus, then we have ordered our life. We have come into alignment with God's claims over us. Listen, God has claimed everything. He owns it all. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. And when we are not in alignment with God, we're out of order, and in that place you will find evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. 
It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Aren't you thankful for the word today? Can we bless the Lord for the word of God today? So our reminder today is faith works in turmoil. The peace of God is available. We need to have the wisdom of God functioning through faith in the middle of our chaos and our turmoil so that we can thrive in the plan that God has for us. My concern is that there are many Christians, so many of us right here, there are many of us here, that we have eternal life, but we aren't walking in a joyful, abundant life that is available in Christ Jesus. You're gonna go to heaven. Why? Because you placed your trust in Jesus and you're following him. But there are principles in the word of God that if you apply them to your life, it's, they're not matters of sin. It's not a matter of sin. It's a matter of wisdom. The Bible, look, the Bible says not everyone should teach. So it's not only the teachers are gonna go to heaven. The reason that not everyone should teach is because teachers are gonna be held even more responsible. And teachers have to have uh, wisdom from the scriptures and have to be able to bring the scriptures and, and then they're judged more harshly. People are watching them, they're looking at them and because our lives can undermine the message that we preach. The same is the case for all of us here today. There are many of us that love Jesus with all our heart and we are pure hearted and we love the Lord. Does that describe you today that you genuinely love the Lord? But do any of you get tired of doing the same stupid mistake over and over and getting the same stupid results in some kind of relational situation or something about your personality? Or some of you, you have some gifts, but those gifts are also like weaknesses. Is, am I describing anybody today? Listen, I'm pretty type A and, and I have a lot of initiative. That initiative helps me to cover a lot of ground, but that initiative also put me in some spots that are hard to get out of. When we have the wisdom of God from the word of God and we put it to work in our life, then we are become more ordered and the more ordered we are, the less evil is functioning in our life, the less the evil one is able to set up a foothold or a stronghold to, to trip us up. Listen, if, there's, if you're experiencing lack somewhere in your life, then there's a root. And I would say this, wherever there's slack, there's lack. If, there, if there's an area of your life that's slack, like if your prayer life isn't functioning like you know it should be, there's gonna be a result of that. You're gonna be lacking something, maybe vibrance in the Holy Spirit, vibrance in your relationship with the Lord, you know, a, a tangible experience with the Lord. If, if, there's, if there's slack in your finances, how you steward your finances, are you bringing a tent to the Lord? Are you paying yourself a tent? Are you setting aside money for the future? Are you handling your bills? You know, are you working to produce money? Listen, Christians ought to work to produce things. We're, we're, we're designed for that. Are you experiencing lack? Maybe it's because there's slack in one of these areas. Are you experiencing some kind of relational deficiency? You love the Lord and you love your parents, but you don't honor your parents. You're not, you're not being faithful to the scriptures. Listen, if you will remove the slack from those areas, if you'll function in the wisdom of the word of God, then God... If you will order that, God will be, bring peace in your life in that area. How many of you believe that today? This is, this is what James is saying. And James was an expert at this too. In fact, I want you to go with me over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 actually happened after the book of James was written. So this instruction in James chapter three, this is 
James' instruction to the church, this really blue jeans, denim kind of gospel, it's like the Proverbs of the New Testament, he's sharing. And now in Acts chapter 15, we get to see how it works out when there's chaos in the church. How many of you know from time to time there's chaos in the church? You've never experienced that anything, anything like that here at Pathway before, never. That, that's like First Baptist, that's like Oak Park, that's Forest Hill down the street, you know? That, that, that's all the other churches, that's not us. We never deal with that stuff. Why do we deal with chaos in the church? Because people. The church is people. The only perfect person in the church is Jesus. And the rest of us, we need to be saved by Jesus. And so we deal with nonsense. Sometimes we're purveyors of nonsense. You can probably look at some kind of drama somewhere that you've had in the church or with the church person. And if you're really honest about it, you can say, you know what, I'll just be honest, it was my fault. Anybody? Go ahead, raise your hand. I know a lot of these stories. You better start raising hands. I know. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. We battle around with that. James is down in the middle of this. In Acts chapter 15, we find ourselves, we'll start in verse 12. By the way, this is not on the screen, so you're going to have to go through your Bible. I'd say mark up your Bible, by the way. Make little monuments. Put a little date where you heard the message. What the, write notes in the line. You may need this later. Acts chapter 15, we'll start at verse 12, and we'll find ourselves in a moment that we will refer to as the Jerusalem Council. James is the leader of the church. He's there in Jerusalem. There's a council of 70 elders. It looks like the early church was structured like Israel was structured. There were 70 elders, and they're all gathered around. In verse 12, we find Paul and Barnabas testifying of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Gentiles are everyone who's not Jewish. We have some Jewish brothers that are here in our church. There are a few, not, not a lot of Jewish people in Mobile, Alabama, but we have some. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is everyone who's not Jewish. And so we're the Gentile church. Paul and Barnabas are testifying. He's saying, wait a second, listen, I saw the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. Let me tell you about it. Verse 12, everyone listen quietly. Everyone, the elders, the leaders, the lead pastors, the most prominent church leaders, influencers of the early church, they're all gathering and they're negotiating through the business of the church, trying to figure out how to build the church and he's settling a dispute because the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, they're kind of at odds. It's not just that. But you have, so Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, these were people who had not given their lives to Jesus. But here we have some Jewish Pharisees that have placed their trust in Jesus, and they will go on, some of them will go on to be called the Judaizers. At some point, Paul calls some of them dogs, which I have never referred to any of you as dogs. Never, never. But I'll tell you what, there are some people in the church that they're gonna give you problems no matter what you do. There are some, listen, there are some people in some churches, they want their leaders, they want their small group leader, they want their pastor just to die. Bad things happen. If, if, if you died and you didn't die a painful death, then it wasn't good enough. We wish you'd do it over again. There are people in churches that are like that. You know, there's some mean people. You know, there's some mean people in churches. Paul met them. And he said, he called them dogs. He just did it. He did, just went after it. These are the two groups there. The Gentiles, they're not practicing the Jewish structure, the guardrails, all of the 
things, all of the things in the Old Testament. Here's what Paul and Barnabas says. Everyone listen quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. I just want to set the table for you. Just, just set the scene. There's all these brothers around. People like Paul who had studied at the feet of Gamaliel. They were learned and they were fishermen. They were people that God had raised up and had used. Peter was not like Paul. He was not learned. He was not educated. He wasn't, he wasn't like uh, Pastor Donald Leroy with a doctorate or like Pastor Kyle Grizzard with a doctorate or like Dr. Fred Toke, a clinical psychologist. Not like that. That was Paul. Peter was a fisherman. And man, God elevated Peter on the day of Pentecost and he preached. Remember, three people, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and the disciples baptized them. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people in a day? If that's like one person every 10 seconds, your arms are falling off by the end of the day. It would take hours and hours for all 12 to do the baptizing. These are the people gathered and they're all talking and you don't wanna contradict any of them because they all bring something to the table. Paul could say, well, I'm learned. Peter can say, yeah, but I earned it. The, I went to the school of hard knocks and look, God's still using me. Actually, Paul, you, 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 know, you, you need more scraped knuckles, which Paul had plenty of scraped knuckles. But you know what I'm saying? Nobody, everyone was respectful to one another. And then James stands up, the leader of the church. And he brings to everyone's attention and he begins to rule. He says, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. Now we know that Israel was God's chosen people, right? He chose, why, would God, why would God choose a people? Why would he choose Israel? Why wouldn't he choose you know, some other people? Who cares? Why do you have to figure that out? He just did. But he didn't only choose Israel because you're here and I'm here and I just want to say I'm glad that God chose me. Does anybody want to say that? You glad that you glad God chose you? And then he says, as it is written, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All of humanity, every single person created in the image of God. Who are the people created in the image of God? Every single human being. That's who he came for. He came for everybody. There is nobody that, there's no one that has ever been created that God did not have a plan for their life. He wants to redeem humanity to himself. One of the great mistakes of the church today is that so many churches are acquiescing to pop culture and we're nuancing language and we're failing to call sin what it is and call people to repentance. We think that we're being kind but we're not being kind when we don't show people how to repent and come to Jesus. Don't worry about that. Listen, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's terrible news. The good news is the gift of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. The good news is that Jesus is a free gift. 
And he doesn't want any of those people to perish. So Paul and Barnabas were preaching and Gentiles were being saved. The prophet is saying so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago, God, the I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the ancient of days, the Spirit of God who hovered over the faces of, over the face of the earth, who created all things through Jesus, through the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is who said this. God has a claim on your life. And James is saying, you know what? We know from the Old Testament, from the law, from pre-law, from back before the law, that God has a claim on everybody. And so, here's this conclusion. This is the rationale. Now is the conclusion. And so my judgment, say judgment, judgment. So my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What do you mean? Why is it difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God? Well, because the Jewish believers, some of the Jewish believers, the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, not all of the Pharisees, we know Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was the, one of the very first believers. He's the one that took care of the body of Christ. Nicodemus had snuck in to meet with Jesus when he was a Pharisee because he didn't want to be you know, ashamed or embarrassed. He didn't want his colleagues to see him doing it. it. It wasn't people like Nicodemus, but it was the Judaizers that were demanding that the Gentile believers not only convert to Jesus, but they also convert to Jewishness. How are you saved? You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you saved by your Jewishness? Sweet home Alabama. But you're not saved by Alabama, right? You're not saved by Nick Saban. You're not saved by your good ideas. You're not saved by your good works. You are saved by Christ and by Christ alone. By Christ alone. And James is saying this. So, well, there were some people that were wanting people, the Gentiles to be converted and then go in a back room somewhere and, not all, and then be circumcised. Now, that's an altar call right there. I bet you we wouldn't have near as many people in the altar. <laughs> and you know what? I bet you I wouldn't be the pastor either. I, I'd be somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm out here with the people. <laughs> Staff pastors, you guys got to go back there and take care of that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. He said, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, if you'll remember over in Paul's epistles, we, in, in the book of Acts, we see Peter showing favoritism uh, towards the Jews. And Paul opposed Peter publicly because of this. So this is a, a challenge that the church was going through. Let me just say, if in the last two years, when we had the racial strife so bad in 2020 coming out of George Floyd, if, if you thought, I don't like how the church is handling things, or, and, and let me tell you, I just think every single pastor everywhere um, they dealt with stuff. Some people thought you talked about race too much and some people thought they didn't talk about race enough. Let me just tell you, it's not new. The early church was dealing with this as well. God was at work in this. 
and the church will work it out. And James is ruling on this. And it's pretty powerful to see, actually. I just want to give you some encouragement today. If you would, if you have a chance, just look around. I want you to see there's all kinds of people here in the house. We got young people. And I'll tell you what, at age 49, the old people are looking younger every day. We got older people. We got rich people. We got poor people. We got white people. We got black people. We got brown people in every shade in between. We got all kinds. You know what? We just got people. You know what that's called? Well, when you put your trust in Jesus, you just call that a church. That's that's all it is. Let, Let me tell you what the church isn't. The church isn't a bunch of bricks where everybody looks the same and you just all fit in nice and neat. But the Bible says we're living stones jointly fit together. So there's not one of us in here that looks the same or thinks the same and has the same opinion. Now, I like my opinions better than I like your opinions. That's why they're mine, right? And where your opinion lines up with mine, then I really like your opinion. It's just how it's life. Is that not life? But oh, how beautiful it is, the body of Christ. It's awesome. Would you be patient with one another? Would you be careful with one another? Would you be gentle with one another? We ought not to make it so difficult for the Gentiles to believe on Jesus and to follow Jesus. And if somebody doesn't think exactly like you, then maybe that's okay. Now, they need, we need to think the same when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the word of God, right? There are things that are essentials and we cannot depart. It's gotta be in a closed fist. We hold tightly to it. We don't let go of it. Right, And if we begin to preach things from this pulpit or from our small groups that oppose this word of God, then we need to deal with that, right? That, indisputable. But on the disputable things, why don't you just chill out and make room for one another? This is what James rules on. He says, it's my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Listen, faith works during times of turmoil. When the church, when the culture, when the world is in chaos, that's the best time for the body of Christ because we get to show who Jesus really is. And you know what? We're gonna work together. We're gonna be in harmony. But when we're not and we're having challenges, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna bear one another's burdens and in so doing, we'll fulfill the law of Christ what the Bible says. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't understand what you face. I don't understand how you see the world and you don't understand how I see the world, but I sure do love you and we can do this thing together. And somebody ought to say amen to that. So my judgment is we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to do these four things. So he gives four rulings in this council, in this moment, in this, and, and this, don't freeze frame the whole Bible on this. This is a trajectory. He says he rules here, and then later Paul will unpack other things. He'll talk about how wives should treat their husbands, and husbands should treat their wives, and children, and how do unbelieving spouses deal with, how do believing spouses deal with unbelieving spouses, and what do you do with the hidden reefs over in, in the book of Jude? There's all kinds of stuff in there. But right here at the Jerusalem council, James says, listen, okay, I'm going to make a ruling. Here are the four things you need to do. Number one, tell them to abstain from eating foods offered to idols. That was one thing. Number two, abstain from sexual immorality. Notice that the very first thing that the Jerusalem council rules on here is sexual immorality. It's been a challenge for the church. It's a challenge today. We're dealing with all kinds of 
stuff today. I cannot comprehend how that my tax money from my house and my sales tax money here is funding family-friendly transgender pride picnics in Mobile. That's crazy. How are we painting our war memorials on Veterans Day a rainbow? I don't understand that. I don't understand it. Listen, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Body of Christ, this is for you, okay? You can't control the world. You, you barely can control yourself, but do this one thing. Brothers and sisters, Jews and Gentiles alike, abstain from sexual immorality. Can I just get real basic and break it down for you here today? And let me talk to our young people. Do this. Go to school, graduate from school, fall in love with somebody, ask them to marry you, get married, stay faithful to them, have babies, lots of babies, because we believe in church growth. And bring your family to church every single Sunday. That's a good word right there. Do, do that, right? And you know what? When your husband or your wife gets on your nerves, you love them anyway, and you serve them anyway, and you hold, your hand, hold their hands, and you smooch on them, and do all the other things that come after that in the name of Jesus, okay? Be faithful, be faithful to the Lord and in his design for his people. Number three, abstain from eating meat of strangled animals. I don't understand why that was a problem. It was a problem then. James taught on it, and finally he said abstain from consuming blood. Now, that one got me. I'm really bummed about that one, right? (laughs) I don't know. He says, for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city, on every Sabbath, for many generations. He tells that the Jerusalem Council, all these churches from all over the world had come together. They now go back, and they're writing to churches all over the place. And then we end up with letters like Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. That's pretty cool. Letters to all these different regions coming out of this. So James shows us that faith works in turmoil. In fact, we need faith in this day to build a family. We need faith in this day to build a church. We need faith in this day to build a city, to build a life. James isn't the only one that made rulings like this. Now, there are some people that will say, well, we don't observe the Old Testament. We just observe the New Testament. That's not true. That's not true. That's actually called antinomianism, antinomianism, to be against the law. Do you observe the law? Christ has fulfilled the law. Do you observe the law? How many of you believe that thou shalt not kill? Do you, you don't observe that. You, does anybody want people to observe that? I want people to observe that. What about thou shalt not steal? I'm a big fan of that one. I had the same car stolen twice. And one time it was stolen on 4th of July weekend, I had two gross of bottle rockets in the car. They decided they were going to shoot them off inside my car, right? I like thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. These are all good things. In fact, when Jesus came and fulfilled the law, he gave us two laws. He, he said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our strength, our mind and our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. These, this is the law. And if we observe those things, if we love God and we love our neighbor, we won't steal, we won't kill, we won't covet. 
We won't commit adultery. Because how can we love our neighbor when we're taking things from our neighbor, their spouse or their possessions, or we're taking someone's life? This is one of the, this is one of the great things. And I, I wasn't here when this happened, but praise God for the Supreme Court in throwing out Roe v. Wade that babies, more babies have a chance to live, have a chance to live. I think we ought to just bless the Lord for that right now. Pastor, what do we do about children? What do we do about children? What do we do about children who are going to have it difficult? Okay, that's great logic to me. They're going to have have it difficult, so let's kill them. Doesn't even make sense. James rules on these things. Actually, if we could have the music come, he rules on these things because the church was in chaos and needed peace. So here's what I want to say to you today as well. If God can work in the church, he can work in my life. We need the wisdom of God in this church and we need the wisdom of God in our lives. How many of you need the peace of God functioning in your life? We need them. It doesn't just happen because we pray. It happens when we exercise the wisdom of God in our lives. We bring order to chaos through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ. And truly, if we want peace, we're going to have to have wisdom, which is what James was instructing on. We see right there, we see that wisdom instructs us of two things. It lets us know that disorder is a natural byproduct of selfishness, seeking ourselves, a selfish ambition, doing all of these things James talked about, bitter jealousy, selfishness does that. Well, I'm just gonna get what's mine. Don't get what's yours, get what's God's. Get God's plan for your life. I'm just gonna take care of me. No, don't just take care of you. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a new way. I'm just gonna follow my heart. No, follow the heart of Jesus Christ. And wisdom instructs us that peace and righteousness are a natural byproduct of righteousness. So if you want peace, don't seek peace. Seek the Prince of Peace and follow what he asks us to do, which is the righteousness of Christ. And when we're in Christ, we're clothed in his robes of righteousness. So when we seek the righteousness of God, we'll get more righteousness and we'll find peace. When we stop rebelling against God and we do God, what God wants us to do, then we'll find, we'll find peace. If you would stand with me, I just want to share this with you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God wants to give you peace in turmoil. To find peace in turmoil, we've got to have our faith in God at work. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, I'm facing some things today where I need the peace of God to reign in my life? It might be in your job, a physical thing. It could be any number of things. But as I was speaking the whole time, you're just saying, man, this speaks right to this situation. Is that you? If that's you, would you just lift your hand just right where you are? Just go ahead and lift that hand up. Amen. Amen. At all of our campuses doing that. I mean, I think God's going to touch you today. 
He's going to touch you. Actually, right now, I just want to let go of the service to all of our campus, of our campus pastors. We'll go ahead and just minister to the folks there as they do. Would you just put our hands together for what God is doing at all of our campuses today? If you raise your hand and you're believing for the peace of God to work and function and bring healing and order in an area of your life, a need that you're asking God to give you wisdom for, a challenge that you, you see, you know, hey, there's this thing that I, I just need God's wisdom navigating that. If that was you, would you just step out and join me right now? If you raise your hand, just go ahead and step really quickly and come and meet me right here. And, and as people come, would you just put your hands together for them and let them know that you're rooting for you. You're cheering for them as they're stepping out onto the field here. Just Scott, Lori, if you you just slide right on here. Just come on, just come on in. And we're just thanking God for what he is doing today. Man, he, he, knows, he knows it all. He knows everything that we're facing. And he is able. He is able. You guys come right on over. It's awesome. I don't know how you get to where it is you're wanting to go. But I know that God wants you to get to where he wants you to be. So if it's peace in the middle of chaos, whatever it is for all of us here today, you can seek peace. If you seek peace, you're gonna find Jesus. If you seek Jesus, you're gonna find peace. But I know if you're seeking him, the Bible says you'll find him. You'll find him, he'll answer you right in the middle of the storm. There's no storm that's too big for our God. He's able. How many of you believe that today? If there's some people who just step in and just agree with these people, just I need some people to come and pray. Just put, put a hand on a shoulder and... Pastor Trevor, if you would come, just pray right here as well. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. And then everybody here, if you just stretch your hands this way. I know there are needs here, people that aren't down here. But Father, we just come to you right now asking that you would touch and you would move. You'd be strong. Father, in our situations and our challenges, God, I pray that the God of all peace will give a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Father, that you would bring order into our situations and that you would rule and you would reign. And God, we'd thank you for it. We'd be so glad for it. Thank you. Father, thank you for my brothers today. I thank you for what you're doing here today. God, I pray that you would touch and you would strengthen, Father, your mighty hand. Father, thank you for my brother right now. Father, for your ministry and his life. We bless you today. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. And while they continue to pray, I just want to encourage you today. There is no peace without Jesus Christ. There's no peace without Jesus. And you can seek for peace. If you don't have Jesus, any peace that you have, it will be temporary. Our peace, eternal peace, real, true, and lasting peace only comes through Jesus Christ. The only way we can find that is if we confess that Jesus is Lord and we give him our sins and ask him to forgive us. God wants to do that in our lives today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anybody here that would like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you slip your hand right where you are? I just want to pray for you right where you are. God bless you. God bless you today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, touch our brothers and sisters, our friends today, and we pray that you would forgive and you would heal. And Father, you would restore, you would make us right, make us yours today. Father, that we can walk out of this place saying that we have been forgiven and we've casted our cares and our sins on you. And Father, you've taken care of us and we, you have made us your children, children of God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that today. 
God, in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us slash give. We'll see you next week.